I feel like it's more safe here. They have cameras here, and I can sit here all day if I need to, if I don't have anywhere to go. Coming up on Carolina Connection, a new effort to protect the safety of homeless people. Good morning, I'm Caroline Horn. And I'm Lorelai Sykes. Also this week, the national FAFSA fiasco is delaying university financial aid. Some UNC students confront their toxic relationship with social media. The alcoholic beverage mead is making a resurgence. Miss America's teen of 2024 is planning to enroll at UNC, and students share their mixed feelings around Valentine's Day. I got stood up once on Valentine's Day, and that was the last time I ever went on a date on Valentine's Day. From the UNC Husband School of Journalism and Media, this is Carolina Connection. Welcome and thanks for joining us. We're starting our morning looking at how one North Carolina city is trying to help homeless people. It's been a year since the city of Greensboro opened the state's first safe parking site. It's intended to be a place where anyone can stay in their cars for free overnight or during the day without being hassled and asked to move. Carolina Connections' Sierra Pfeiffer has more. For this single mother and her three school-aged children, home is a 2007 Dodge minivan. I'm just homeless in the car, just sleeping in the car with the kids. That's Waya. She goes by her ancestral Cherokee name. Waya and her kids have been sleeping in the van for about a month after they fled an abusive family situation in Fayetteville. Like many homeless people, they struggled to find a safe place to park where they wouldn't get harassed or shoot away. I was parking at like rest stops and I had this app where it showed me where I could park that was for free where they didn't really mind it like at Cracker Barrel or other places like that. It was kind of dangerous because nobody really know. Nobody really know, but it was dangerous. So Wyatt and her kids made their way here to what Greensboro is calling a safe parking site. It's a free downtown lot for people living in their cars. But unlike a rest stop, it has a security guard. And it's directly behind the interactive resource center where anyone can shower, do laundry, and even meet with a caseworker. I feel like it's more safe here. They have cameras here, and I can sit here all day if I need to, if I don't have anywhere to go. Waya's minivan was among about half a dozen cars parked here on a Thursday afternoon, with some people using tarps and clothing to cover their windows and block out the cold weather. This lot is the first of its kind in North Carolina, and only the second on the East Coast after Atlanta. But nationwide, there are now more than 50, mostly in California and Washington, according to the National Vehicle Residency Collective. The collective advocates for people living in their cars, and one of its founders is Graham Pruss. There's growing awareness, not only that this population exists, that their numbers appear to be increasing, but also that uh, there's really not a lot of uh, spaces for people who are living in vehicles in the existing systems. That's why the city of Greensboro spent about $180,000 last year to pilot the safe parking lot. Christina Singleton, who runs the Interactive Resource Center, said homelessness increased during the pandemic and it hasn't gone down. Folks are living in their cars. They don't have somewhere safe to go. They're getting woken up in the middle of the night and asked by police or security to move along. So for safe parking, we have a spot that's well lit with security, a place to use the bathroom and a shower and build that community so that folks can be together in one spot. The city opened up the lot about a year ago, and Singleton says it's had some successes. Larry Logan parked here for a month, 
and said having a free place to live helped him save up for an apartment. I was here and I stayed in my car and I slept and then I was able to save money and go get my own place. And so um, I'm back today to get my mail. Still, parking lots like this have not escaped criticism. Some Greensboro City Council members have opposed funding for what they call Band-Aid solutions for homelessness, rather than finding more permanent fixes. And Waya, the mother living in her Dodge minivan, says while the parking lot is helpful, she needs more. It's hard on me to make it work for these kids when I have no resources, no help. So I just wish there was more help for mothers and kids. Singleton said the resource center is working on what she called permanent supportive housing. But in the meantime, she says this parking lot is a lifeline for vulnerable people who don't have any other options. In Greensboro, I'm Sierra Pfeiffer. The FAFSA, or Free Application for Federal Student Aid, is used by current and prospective college students to determine their eligibility for student financial aid. Last week, the Department of Education announced that data from the FAFSA will not be sent to colleges until the first half of March. That's a four to six week delay. Today, I'm joined by senior writer for the Chronicle of Higher Education, Eric Hoover, to talk about this delay and what the effects of this delay look like. Eric, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So this isn't the first delay regarding federal aid this year. The FAFSA application itself did not open until December 30th, when it usually opens on October 1st. So why is FAFSA facing so many delays this year? In a nutshell, the form itself, the online application itself, is being overhauled, has been overhauled in a major way. But as the Education Department has repeatedly pointed out recently, it's not just the form itself that uh, got a got a total makeover, right? It's also the ins and outs of the federal aid process overall. To say the least, it has been a massive undertaking um, and a lot of work behind the scenes to make the system run smoothly. But oh wait, it's not running smoothly. The bottom line is it's a lot of work that went into um, all those changes. And right here in early February, um, the application is not working smoothly or working at all for some families. Well, it sounds like this delay affects both students, definitely who are depending on financial aid to help make their decision to commit to a college, but it's also the colleges that are trying to send out financial aid letters to these students. What does it mean for the disruption of the the usual university aid schedule? Yeah, right. So that timeline was already kind of crunched because of the fact that the FAFSA opened at the very end of the year instead of on October 1st, as it usually does. Um, But right now, everyone's in this waiting game. If if you're a family that has completed the FAFSA already and successfully submitted it, you're kind of in limbo because the education department has not yet uh, processed that information and sent it along to colleges. And that means that if you work in a financial aid office at a college or university, you are also just kind of stuck waiting at the mercy of the education department, which is working apparently around the clock to process the first batches of FAFSAs and get them turned around, sent to colleges. So colleges can begin what is a, it's fair to say an elaborate process of taking in all that data um, and then assembling each individual applicant's aid package one by one by one. The later these financial aid awards um, go out to families, 
the less time families will have to sit down and try to make a determination about um, the best option um, for that student. And there's been updates to the guidelines determining students' aid eligibility, and the Undersecretary of Education announced that there will be an additional $1.8 billion available in Pell Grants. So once we get past these delays, do you think we could see like um, a record high of students being eligible for aid and receiving aid? Next year, the year after that, um, and going forward, I think there's a good chance that many stakeholders will see the new FAFSA, which is widely known as Better FAFSA, will in fact be better in many meaningful ways, particularly if, as the education department has told us, yes, there, there will be an increase in the number of eligible students. That will be a major um, boon. That will be a benefit to many families going forward. I think the difficult thing is if you're, if you're going through this process this year and you really need that Pell money and you're not able to complete the form right now, um, it's, it's hard to talk about how this will be better for many students down the line when for you right now, you might be stuck. That was Eric Hoover from the Chronicle of Higher Education joining us from Washington, D.C. Thanks again, Eric. Thank you so much. UNC's students say they have a love-hate relationship with social media. On the one hand, it's an enjoyable source of entertainment, but on the other, it can be emotionally draining. Some students say they regret spending excess time scrolling on TikTok, Instagram, and other apps. Noah Powell has a story. Tagalilu Nikervis is a junior at UNC studying information science. She enjoys art, research, reading, and is trying out botany as well. However, finding time for these activities has been really difficult, partly because she spends so much of her time scrolling through her phone. So it looks like 23 hours and 53 minutes is on Instagram, which is really bad because I did not realize that. Um, it looks like 4 hours, 36 minutes on YouTube, an hour, 55 minutes on Google, an hour, 31 minutes on Snapchat, an hour on Messages, an hour on Reddit, and it looks like almost an hour or 53 minutes on Pinterest. Not all students spend their day scrolling through social media. In the Union, students were playing pool and ping pong or chatting with friends. UNC sophomore Sophia Looper was one of them. She recently deleted almost all of her social media accounts. I mainly deleted TikTok and Instagram, which are like the biggest ones. Um, one of the big reasons was that I was just on it so much and just constantly scrolling. And I even used apps like I use this app called OneSec, where like like every time you open the app, it like makes you take a deep breath and then like exhale. And then it's like, do you still want to go on? And I would just I would skip that <laughs> every time. Looper found that, like many other students, social media was making it hard to manage collegiate life, cutting into sleep and study time especially. When Looper posted a video of herself on TikTok, the harms of social media really became apparent. I was Ariel and I did um, like a little dance and it got viral and literally all of the comments were talking about how fat I was. It was crazy. Like I feel like p people don't think that like that will happen to you, but it is just so random and people are so vile on there. So. I don't think I don't think I'll ever re-download TikTok. Many students recognize the problems that social media causes. However, Ali Pardue, the social media manager for the Daily Tar Heel, discussed the benefits. In my experience, it's really great for keeping up with friends um, that you don't see every day. It's great for any type of business or marketing organization because 
everybody has their eyes on social media, pretty much. Um, so if you want to get your name out there, get your brand out there, get your product out there, you've got to be on social media. Growing a business, keeping up with events, finding out what your friends are up to, so much is happening online. Unfortunately for Looper, this allure just feels like too much to stay away from forever. I haven't had it now for since like, I think beginning of fall semester. Do you think there's gonna be a point that you're gonna be like, I have to get back on there because there's so much up? Actually, yeah, I'm actually, I've been thinking about that recently because I'm, I'm pre-dental as well. And I go to like these like club for pre-dental meetings and they talk to like students about like the pre-dental student panel and they talk about like how important connections is and stuff like that. And I, I trying to think of like a way that I could be present online without having to look at it all the time. Students facing this problem have come up with a variety of creative solutions. Some set hard time limiters, others change their language settings, some students have even turned their phones to black and white. While these solutions have varying success, there is hope that a proper phone life balance can be found. In Chapel Hill, I'm Noah Powell. listening to Carolina Connection, UNC's student-produced newscast. I'm Caroline Horn. And I'm Lorelai Sykes. The first alcoholic drink wasn't made of grain or grapes, but instead fermented honey. Mead was popular for centuries, but has since fallen out of fashion. Now, a growing group of brewers is working on bringing the old-timey drink to the modern bar scene. Henry Taylor visited a North Carolina meadery to see what they've got brewing. Beer and wine are the reigning king and queen of the alcohol beverage market, but another is slowly gaining popularity. Mead, or honey wine, is being brewed by people who see gold in honey. Uh, there's going to be liquid going first and then CO2 will be pushing out. The sounds of the process aren't always the prettiest. Ben Starr is the lead mead maker at Starlight Mead in Pittsburgh. He spends many of his days brewing the drink in massive vats that hold hundreds of gallons of honey. I was a beekeeper growing up, so I've always loved honey. And then Becky and I, my wife, we made our first batch of mead in 2004, and then we were off to the races. Simple mead is perhaps the oldest alcoholic drink. It's made from just honey, water, and yeast, left to ferment over two to three months. But Starr says modern meaderies attract more drinkers by adding flavors to that base. It can take 50 gallons of it, add tea, honey, and spices, and it becomes our chai tea mead. Take 100 gallons of it, add uh, apple juice and spices, and it becomes our spiced apple. That flavor is Starlight's biggest seller. I like the spiced apple. It's like drinking an apple pie. Keely Goodwin was among the customers at a Starlight tasting event. Some were there to buy bottles of mead, which ranged from $22 to $35, while others were just there to try it out. Since discovering the ancient drink, Goodwin has been spreading the buzz. My sister-in-law and brother-in-law came from Texas, and they had never had mead before, but they are very big wine drinkers. And this was a whole new experience for them, and they absolutely loved it. The mead industry, if it's not growing, it's not from lack of trying. They really promote really well. The American Mead Makers Association says the number of meaderies has grown from 60 in 2003 to 450 in 2020. 
However, many customers are still unaware of the drink. Kevin Anderson is with a group called Alcohol Industry Associates, which does legal consulting for breweries and wineries. He says mead is still much smaller than the beer and wine industry, likely due to a lack of public knowledge. The public doesn't fully know exactly what it is. They think of sometimes uh, mead or honey wine as kind of a, an old school you know, type of wine that's been around for thousands of years, but really it's been revitalized. A busy night at Starlight is just a few customers spread out among the bar, tables, and rocking chairs on the front porch. But Ben Starr is optimistic that the mead industry and his business will continue to grow. We're doing all of our own bottling and everything. Uh, we've got kegs going now. We're uh, aging things in barrels. There's always new stuff and uh, learning from each other, so it's great. And Starr plans to keep experimenting, hoping to find the next big flavor. In Pittsburgh, I'm Henry Taylor. Earlier this year, North Carolinian Hanley House was crowned Miss America's Teen 2024. At 16 years old, House has won national awards and runs her own nonprofit. She's also a part of the Carolina Girls dance team at UNC. Amina Akram reports. After losing her high school pageant in Johnston County a year ago, winning the title of Miss America Teen 2024 was something 16-year-old Handley House did not anticipate. Many people who knew her celebrated her victory. Those included high school teachers, friends, neighbors, and relatives who got together to watch the competition on TV. House is still processing her win. It felt like an out-of-body experience, um, something that I want to experience again as Miss North Carolina to become Miss America instead of a Miss America's teen again. Um, but, you know, that opportunity, um, that whole week was just so good. Even Hanley House mother, Karen House, could not contain her excitement. She smiled proudly as she spoke about her daughter. It's been surreal. The moment that they called North Carolina as the winner, knowing that just less than a year before that, she was not even looking <laughs> at that path. Um, and to watch how hard she worked. House was still in disbelief weeks after she won. She showed us her much-cherished possessions, her crown, and her big, bold white and black sash that says Miss America Teen 2024. I was able to make so many more friends from all of different states all around this amazing nation that we live in. House is a junior at Cleveland High School in Johnston County. She plans to attend UNC. As part of the prize package, she received a $75,000 scholarship to attend a college of her choice. I want to attend the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill um, to study business. There's no other place, better place to do it rather than right here. Um, and so being able to come here, um, I like to call it my home already. House, who did not grow up participating in beauty pageants, attributes her sudden rise to fame and success to her community, her parents, and her strong work ethic. Living in that fearless mindset, working hard, not giving up, um, and truly being surrounded by such an amazing village has gotten me where I am today. House is also a professional dancer at the Academy of Performing Arts in Apex. House dance teacher Nancy Andrew is still thrilled for her student. Andrew says the entire school is very proud of her and made multiple 
watch parties the day she was crowned. I feel like she truly embodies what it is to be a woman who supports women. That is something that was evident from the second she stepped in our studio. She was always cheering for other kids, always supporting others, and had just such like an empathy for what other kids were experiencing and what they were feeling. House also runs a sticker business and a nonprofit organization called Passion for Profit, which empowers young girls to build leadership and entrepreneurship skills. Karen House says the sky is the limit for her daughter. I was just enjoying watching her have fun and experience and learn and grow. I was never really thinking about the end because I knew that God, whatever he had planned for her is where we were going to end up. The Miss America Teen Beauty Pageant takes place every year. It is a sister program to Miss America. More than 51 13 to 18 year olds from across the United States compete for the title. They are judged in fitness, talent, and how they present themselves in the final evening ball gown category. In Chapel Hill, I'm Amina Akram. Now turning to sports. For Carolina's men's basketball, an upset loss against Clemson Tuesday put a hard stop to lingering celebrations after the February 3rd win against Duke. I'm joined by Carolina Connections' Sierra Pfeiffer and Lucas Tomei to talk basketball. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, so Lucas, what do you think were some of the main factors contributing to Clemson's win in that game? It's interesting. I mean, it almost seemed like the UNC team came in hungover from their win on Saturday. Uh, the shots just weren't falling, first of all, which sometimes that happens. But RJ Davis now, two games in a row, has had some poor shooting performances, which I think really hinders the team because I think he's really a sort of spark plug for that offense. You know, once he hits a, a big three, that gets the rest of the guys going. Armando Baycott had another really good performance, but mm. um, it was just hard because the guys around him weren't really making their shots against Clemson. And then, of course, Seth Trimble uh, was out. He was announced out with a upper body injury. He's been a really solid contributor of late, and I think that really made a difference against Clemson as well. Yeah, they were able to rack up those points and those shots in the first half, which really affected the whole game. I mean, Seth Trimble has definitely turned himself into a solid rotation piece this season. You know, Hubert Davis likes to deploy him off the bench. He's the team's best on-ball defender. Um, if he needs to shut down a, an opposing team's offense, like he'll get thrown out there to sort of shut down the other team's point guard, and he, he wasn't there to do that. Um, just like I described RJ Davis as a spark plug, Seth Trimble's sort of that same way where he can get a breakaway shot, um, a big layup, a, a big energy. He's a great finisher. And that sort of energy and spark, I think, was missing the whole game against the Tigers. Yeah. And I think the biggest question that I have is how can Carolina play more consistently for the rest of the season and the games that we have left? For one, they've just had, you know, in their past two losses, they've just shot really, really poorly. So they're going to have to keep that up. RJ Davis, you know, when the team went on their not 10-0 win streak to start off ACC play, RJ Davis was just unconscious. Uh, he was one of the best players in the country during that stretch. And in their two recent losses, uh, he hasn't really shown up. Um, so I think this team really needs RJ Davis to really pull this offense and, and keep that train moving along. Uh, Hubert Davis said after the Clemson game, um, which might be a little bit of coach speak, but he said, 
essentially this team isn't quite good enough to turn it off and turn it on whenever they want. They have to be consistent, consistent, consistent. And that's that was sort of the formula for success earlier in the season. And it's going to be um, the formula for success going forward. Well, later today is their upcoming game against Miami, UNC basketball v. Miami. And Miami really needs this win. So they're going to have to play hard. They're going to have to play hard. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this Miami team is, they're a really well-coached team. They have some really good players on this roster. As I said, Jim Laranega is a veteran coach. And they don't like to have the record they have right now. So um, when people come to play North Carolina, North Carolina has a target on their backs. Uh, Just because they're so high in the rankings, they are the team to beat in the ACC. So, you know, UNC can't let their guard down against teams like Miami and teams like Clemson because those are still solid teams in the ACC that while on paper they may not match up, um, but they are going to come at the Tar Heels with everything they've got. Yeah, definitely. We have a jam-packed weekend ahead of us full of lots of different games. What are you specifically on the lookout for? Yeah, I'll be watching both uh, lacrosse season openers. The men face off against Mercer, which is a traditionally pretty good program, but I think it'll be a good test for UNC. Uh, they're sort of coming off of a rebuilding season after typically, you know, this program under Joe Bresci has always been contenders in the ACC. Um, getting a big win against Mercer will be big for the men. Um And then I think the highlight is going to be number three, women's lacrosse versus number six, James Madison in Virginia. Uh, That's going to be a huge test for Jenny Levy's squad um, just to sort of see can they live up to this top three ranking they're coming into the season with. Thanks, Lucas, and thanks so much for having us. That was Carolina Connection, Sierra Pfeiffer, and Lucas Tomei. Valentine's Day is just a few days away, and if the holiday inspires conflicting emotions, you're not alone. Carolina Connections' Hamsumi Sivakumar talks to UNC students about how they're feeling during the season of love. In preparation for February 14th, the organization Puppies at Carolina held their Valentine's-themed Smooches for Pooches event, letting passers-by pet four-year-old dog Lucia while listening to music. The president, Ashley Behringer, says the event was held to raise awareness for the club and collect donations, but also get students into the holiday spirit for Valentine's Day. They're so good at making you feel appreciated and giving you all the smooches that you need, especially if you don't have a loved one. What is happening? Getting a smooch from a pooch might not be the most traditional way to celebrate the Day of Love, but there are plenty of people sticking with a traditional Valentine's Day. UNC students Drew Adams and Emily Orr are celebrating their first Valentine's Day together by going on a dinner date in Raleigh. But Orr says anyone can celebrate the Day of Love, not just couples. In fact, she hopes to make plans to celebrate with her roommates as well. Similarly, UNC sophomore Ali Banerjee has already celebrated Galentine's Day last weekend with her friends. I know a lot of people think that Valentine's Day is like solely for couples, but I like how in the recent years, like, a lot of friends have kind of taken over and it's like now there's a like Galentine's Day and it's kind of become like celebrating different types of love, which is like nice and it's really sweet, I think. But not everyone has rosy Valentine's Day feelings. Student Vanessa Ibarra recalled her worst Valentine's Day. I got stood up once on Valentine's Day and that was the last time I ever went on a date on Valentine's Day. 
Sophomore Ariel Halperin has other reasons for disliking the holiday, saying it underplays the value of random acts of love. I think it's kind of dumb if you love someone. I don't think you need like a special day. I think it's so much cuter if you have like your own special days with people. Regardless of your relationship with Valentine's Day, there are still plenty of ways to celebrate in Chapel Hill on the 14th. One unconventional way is to spend the evening by listening to erotica. Lab Theater Group will be holding its annual Valentine's Day erotica reading, which has gone on for over 15 years. Students have the opportunity to submit and read their own work or work they find. Julia Fink, Lab's production manager of events, says it's an opportunity to be silly and enjoy a day that isn't fun for everyone. It's just kind of become like a student theater tradition where everybody knows like Valentine's Day you have plans. If you don't have plans, there's still time to try something new this Valentine's Day. Whether you choose to spend it with your partner, have a Galentine's Day with friends, or enjoy an evening to yourself, we wish you a happy Valentine's Day. In Chapel Hill, I'm Humsini Sivakumar. Well, Caroline, I actually have a terrible Valentine's Day story to share with you. Um, I think it was five years ago now, but in high school, I had my little high school boyfriend and Valentine's Day was coming up and it was my first Valentine's Day with a boyfriend. So I was super excited. Um, I planned this cute beach picnic and he broke up with me right before. Yeah, I feel like we all have one of those stories. It's just something about the day. <laughs> well, that's it for Carolina Connection, a production of the UNC Hussman School of Journalism and Media. Our technical director is CJ Henderson. I'm Lorelai Sykes. And I'm Caroline Horn. You can hear more of our stories at carolinaconnection.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and X at UNC Connection and on Facebook at Carolina Connection. Thanks for listening.